0: Radio Ambulante is NPR's only Spanish language podcast. Listen for stories you won't hear anywhere else told by the voices that make Latin America come alive. Each week, we bring you another remarkable story that will surprise and move you, Radio Ambulante. New episodes every Tuesday, listen and subscribe.
1: From NPR Music, this is Alt Latino. I'm Felix Contreras. This week, in light of the ongoing national conversation we are having about Confederate statues, I thought we'd take some time to talk about monuments in general, but from a slightly different angle. Now, if we could snap our fingers and make it happen, who would we like to see immortalized in marble or bronze or carved into the side of a mountain? And I say we because I have some help to ponder this question. This week, we welcome back NPR contributor and alt-Latino co-host, Stephanie Fernandez. Stephanie, welcome back.
2: Always a pleasure, Felix.
1: And we also welcome back Anais Navarro-Lorette, who helped us with the Black Lives Matter and Afro-Latino show a few weeks ago. Anais, thank you for being here.
3: Great to be back,
1: Felix. And we welcome to the Contributor Fold, Laura Beltran Villamizar. Laura is a photojournalist who works with us as part of the NPR's visuals team. Welcome, Laura.
4: Hi, thank you so much, happy to be here.
1: Okay, you all have some very fascinating and worthy historical, as well as contemporary figures to talk about. But let me kick things off with someone that may have a special meaning for each of you my candidate for a monument celebrating latino culture is sonia manzano better known as maria from sesame street for 44 seasons for millions of children over several generations she was either the first latina they had ever seen or the first time young latino kids could see someone who looked like them on television she won 15 emmys before she retired in 2015 when she also wrote her memoirs called Becoming Maria. Now here she is on PBS's NewsHour program, reflecting on her impact on our collective national culture.
2: People say, oh, she overcame a terrible childhood. I say I didn't overcome my difficult childhood. Uh, I say that I used it. I made something of it. Mm -hmm. I, I never forgot it. I remembered myself watching father knows best and leave it to beaver. And so I remembered myself doing that. And I and I kept that sensibility in my heart while I was doing Sesame Street with the knowledge that there's another kid out there looking for that sanctuary.
1: As to where I would put her statue, I would put it in the South Bronx where she grew up so that other young Latinos can see the possibilities this life offers and can be inspired to make a difference on their own. So, do you guys remember watching Maria on, on Sesame Street? Oh, totally.
3: I loved Sesame Street and I loved seeing Maria. I mean, it's a staple growing up, you know, it's, it's a classic. And to see your culture reflected on TV like that is, as a young kid, you know, there's nothing like that feeling. And indeed, to see like the
4: combination between your own identity and Sesame Street, which it tend to be like a little bit foreign, just having that one voice, it just made it so much more special.
1: Okay. Let's move on. Stephanie, you're first. Who would you like to see on the statue?
2: My pick for my first statue would be Maria Teresa Vera, who is one of the giants of Cuban trova music of the early 20th century. While people know her most well-known composition, Bank de años, they don't know much about her life or her influence in the history of Cuban music outside of the island. She grew up in Guanajay in Pinal del Rio, which is where my family's from, and eventually moved to Havana when the family that her mother worked for moved to the city. She was sent to a school and the nuns kicked her out, saying that she kept singing in a language they didn't understand, which were the Yoruba songs that her mother would sing her as a child. As a teenager, shortly after she learned to play the guitar from another great giant of Trova, Manuel Corona. And she eventually went on to perform in a very famous duo with Rafael Sequeira, who performed from Havana to the Apollo Theater in Harlem in the 1910s.
1: Okay, Steph, tell us a little bit more about Trova music, its history and and its role in Cuban music.
2: Troa is interesting because it is music from the country. It's Cuban country music, which is how I think of it. It was a guitar-led genre that was kind of the ancestor to what I saw as the Cuban protest song. And Maria Teresa Vera's influence as a black woman making music in this genre when she was making it, I think that was radical. Her most famous song, "Veinte años, is one of the best Cuban boleros to this day. It's about, of course, a love that goes wrong after 20 years. Maria Teresa took those words and made it magic with the music. She Really captured the loss and the existentialism of being a woman at that time in Cuba, in the country, and not having the autonomy in these situations that I think is captured so beautifully in the song. And similar to blues music in the United States at that time, I hear that kind of existential yearning that I think is what makes Boleros so adept at capturing that feeling of loss and yearning. Of all the pictures I've seen of Maria Teresa with her guitar, she's standing up, holding it on her knee, country style. And I think. I would put her statue in New York or anywhere in the U.S. where folk music is celebrated today, because folk musics from elsewhere than the United States have had such an impact on the music of this country too. And I could go on, but I won't.
1: <laughs> okay, let's hear that song, "Veinte Años."
5: Recordar, fui la ilusión de tu vida, un día dejanos ya, hoy represento el pasado, no me puedo
1: conformar. Okay, thanks Steph, that was great first pick. Okay, Laura, you're up. Who's your first pick?
4: My choice is Ana Caona, a cacique uh, from the Taino people from the um, 15th century of what is now Haiti and the Dominican Republic. Her story is really something that we hardly ever get to hear and read in history books. So when we read about like La Conquista and, and that time in the Americas, we hear about, you know, the Columbus and the invaders, the conquistadors, and we hardly ever get to hear about the the indigenous people that actually stood up against this force. And why I love Anacon is because, well, first of all, she's a woman, she's an indigenous woman, and she's a cacique artist that basically used her diplomacy to make sure that her people were protected. We're talking about what is now Haiti, and what I love about her is that. She took a different approach to diplomacy and working with with the Spanish and French invaders to actually save her people. I love that approach to diplomacy and politics, especially in that time. Her way of doing politics is something that I feel we should celebrate right now. So... It's a very feminine way of doing politics. It's a very soft way of doing politics. She was taken advantage of by the Spaniards and eventually she was killed at 29. She became this icon at a very, very young age. She became this committed and crucial figure in the shaping of Asian identity. I love her story. I think it's so powerful to have someone Being part of your history, if you're from Haiti or anywhere else in Latin America, having someone like that remind you of what it takes to be a good leader, what it takes to be a woman, what it takes to be an indigenous woman. I would put her in Haiti, obviously, but I would also put her in Paris as a reminder to Europeans of who our heroes are.
1: Laura, her story is captured in one of the most famous salsa songs of the 1970s Fania era. This is Puerto Rican vocalist Cheo Feliciano singing Caona.
0: Cuanto gimió a la caona oí la voz de tu angustiado corazón, tu libertad nunca llegó, Eh, nene, 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 nana.
1: You're listening to Alt Latino. I'm Felix Contreras. We're talking about monuments and who we would like to see in a monument and where we would like to see them. And next is Anais. What do you have?
3: Oh, man. So this was kind of tough. You know, I wanted something that really represented the culture. When people see it, they just feel reflected in that statue. So my first pick is going to be Jean-Michel Basquiat. Um, I've been a fan of his as soon as I was at the museum, saw my first Basquiat, and I was just obsessed. Here was this Afro-Latino. He's Haitian, Puerto Rican, and he grew up in a trilingual home. And I think a lot of us can relate to growing up in a melting pot of different cultures. And he really used art as a vehicle to explore everything about the Black experience, racism. He put police brutality at the forefront of his art, everything from gentrification, to different social dichotomies like wealth and poverty. And what I admired about him is that he really didn't conform to what the art world wanted him to be like. You know, he was his own person and he did that completely unapologetically. You know, and I think that his work to this day, it just still remains so relevant to what's going on. It's timeless. And something that I found extremely interesting that I didn't know, and I'm actually, surprised I didn't know this until I did a little bit more research and digging on him, is that in 2017, at a Sotheby's auction, one of his paintings sold for $110.5 million, which set the new record for any American artist at auction, which is huge. You know, here's this Afro-Latino, grew up in New York, started as a graffiti artist, and it's, it's extremely sad that now his success is seen once he passed, but that's major. So I think that for all those reasons, His statue should be displayed at the Smithsonian Sculpture Garden. And I think it's a great place for millions of visitors around the world to see his contributions, uh, especially for black and brown communities. I think it's important for them to see their experiences reflected in his work and to also see that a lot of these issues that we're dealing with today were still happening back then. So we have a lot of work to do, but it's also inspiring to keep that energy going.
1: Okay, I found a video clip, a very short video clip of him speaking from a 1986 documentary, speaking specifically about black artists and black art and representation. Let's check it out. I think there's a lot of people that are, that are neglected in, in, in art. I don't know if, it was, if it's who made the paintings or what, but um, I don't know. Either, I don't know black people are never really portrayed realistically, not maybe or not even portrayed. I mean, not even portrayed in modern art enough. That was John michel Basquiat from a 1986 documentary. Anais, great pick. Okay, let's see. Let's go back to uh, Stephanie.
2: I had to go with Cuba and two figures that changed Cuban music in ways that were iconic, but I think even so undercelebrated. My next pick is Bola de Nieve, whose real name was Ignacio Villay-Fernandez, who was a singer, composer, and classically trained pianist, who I think is just the master of what we consider today Cuban classical piano. You know, there's so many figures that we celebrate in the tradition of Cuban piano and, and kind of the modern day associations of Latin jazz. But I think Bola de Nieve really innovated the form in a way that is not talked about enough. His, one of his first big breaks came was when he was asked by the singer Rita Montaner to be her accompanist in Cuba. And one day she was feeling ill and declined to perform. And he performed an adaptation of Nicolás Guillén, the national poet of Cuba's Tú No Habla Inglés, or Vito Manuel, which was an early example of the deep influences of Afro-Cuban rhythms and spirituality that would become part of Bola de Nieves' music as a foregrounding figure in the Afro-Cubanismo movement of the 1930s.
1: OK, Steph, tell us about his name, Bola de Nieve, which translates to snowball.
2: The story goes that Montaner herself gave him the nickname Bola de Nieve mockingly for his bald, round head, the irony being that he was a dark-skinned black man. And in many articles, it was written that Villa took offense to that name, uh, as he should have, because it was meant mockingly. And then later, he reclaimed it as kind of this identity for himself as a performer. And I think, especially in this time period, for a dark-skinned Cuban man to be kind of embraced by Cuban high society music, he kind of straddled this place between music of high art, so-called, and of the people. And his whole life as a musician was this performance, both of the expectations placed upon him as a dark-skinned Cuban black man, but also as a gay man in the 1930s in Cuba, where it was kind of an open secret that he was gay. You know, he went on to tour abroad with the likes of Lena Horn and Paul Robeson. And a lot of his songs, played with and subverted the racism he experienced and the expectations of him. He was this figure that, that was kind of of the, like the Cuban noblesse before the revolution. And when the revolution came, which he supported, he actually became a cultural ambassador for the government and was one of the few gay public figures to not be condemned by the government or persecuted at that time. But of course, racism and homophobia continued to follow him throughout his life. Again, he was not extremely vocal about that aspect of his identity. I wonder all the time what a Bola de nieve song would sound like today if he had been able to sing about every part of his life authentically. But I also don't know if he wanted us to, you know? I think he wanted the world to remember his performance. And so I think a statue of him would be fitting not only in Havana, obviously, but in Miami as a reminder of this music that is so integral to our culture, but also of these questions that we're still grappling with to this day around race, and homophobia in our community. He said, "Yo soy un hombre triste que me paso la vida muy alegre." And I think that's what all of his songs sound like
1: What song did you bring for us to play?
2: This is "Si me pudieras querer," which is one of his most famous compositions. Despertaste nueva vida en mí
5: para ser faro de mi querer. Y hoy me tienes medio loco porque ya siquiera un poco has de alumbrar mi ilusión. Hoy la vida me ha de sonreir Tengo ya deseos de sentir Los besitos de tu boca Que mejor me hacen vivir Si me pudieras querer Como te estoy queriendo yo Si no me fuera traidora La luz de tu amor yo no sé si existiera por ti, solo mi querer. Yo no sé qué sería la vida sin ti.
1: You are listening to Old Latino. I'm Felix Contreras. We're talking about monuments to Latinos or Latinas that we would like to see. Uh, let's see who's next. I think Anais, you're up.
3: So I wanted to do something that was... Almost like a love letter to reggaeton, which would have three people. And this was tough because as a reggaetonera, I have so many picks here. But my top three that I think really showcase just the evolution and this global phenomenon that is reggaeton would be El General, Bad Bunny, and Evie Queen. And what's fascinating to me is that the United States has the largest Spanish-speaking population in the world. And there are over 60 million Latinos in the United States. We're a very diverse group. We're rich in music and cultural tradition. So I think we need to talk a little bit about reggaeton. And in general, he is the OG, you know, he's the one that is credited for pioneering reggaeton with classic wine worthy hits, like Te Ves buen Buena, Muévelo, and Tu Pun, pun. And If you haven't heard it, go listen to it now and I can guarantee you, you will be whining in your mirror. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, he he just paved the way for reggaetoneros. And he was the one who was able to give everyone that international stage. And second would be Evie Queen, La Caballota. She's just this lyrical legend, you know, and she made music that was for women. You know, she reminds us that even though it's an exciting time for reggaeton, it's still very male dominated and that needs to change. And lastly, and I kind of see this as like and Henada, Bad Bunny, maybe like dapping up and like eating Queen in the middle, who knows. But Bad Bunny because, you know, as we all know, he's leading the new wave of reggaetoneros. He's taking this genre to new heights and he's really created his own rules to this game. And Yo Pereo Sola just completely challenged the traditional concept of masculinity and it completely rejects misogyny. So he keeps people guessing and I like that component that he's continued to deliver And his formula is working. I mean, look at his album, Yo Hago Lo Que Me Da La Gana, which is the highest charting all Spanish language album ever, which is like bonkers. So I think that music and art is a vessel for conversations. And I can see this like in a plaza somewhere in Miami with like food trucks, music, and just like good vibes. You know, it reminds me of like being in Venezuela and being in different plazas and you're meeting people, you're talking to people. It's like, a hub for conversation and we need that right now we really do need that sense of community so that's my ode to reggaeton if we could go with tu pum pum i just think yes. that's just such a good classic to set the tone for what reggaeton
0: like catapulted and
3: became
0: pues pum pum, mm-hmm. mami mami no me Bang matatun pum pung mami mami no me bang matatun pum pum mami mami no me bang matatun pum pung mami mami no me bang matar en pues tu pum pung no me No me bang, mata, tu pum, pum, mami, mami, no me van matar. Pum, pum, mami, mami, no me van matar. pues. Conozco chicas que les gustan firmar. Viene para el baile, se ya no quiere bailarán. Con mi amigos si no lleva un collar. Él no maneja ningún onda a cara, Y la cerveza no le puede comprar. Digo, todo lo que quiere un pasito pa' gozada, Porque del baile no la puede sacar. Y a su casa no la puede
1: before we continue and, and wrap this up with, uh, with another pick, let me throw a question out to the group. What value do each of you see in, in having monuments up in general?
4: The matters of like seeing yourself represented as a I could be a hero. I could be someone meaningful in this society and seeing yourself represented by history by the right people in history, that by people that chose the right side of history. So I feel that having people that come from our experiences that went through the things that we went through and that are celebrated for the things that they've achieved is crucial for our understanding of who we are.
2: I think for me, when I think about monuments and memorials, particularly this year, but in the past several years, you know, I think about memory. I think about what does this want me to remember? When I look at a statue, and I, I think so much of our ideas about monuments and, and how we record history in this country have to do with what we perceive as sacrifice, what we perceive as noble, what we perceive as something worth remembering. Caveating that, like I'm not sure I believe in statues anymore. <laughs> um, putting anyone on a pedestal is is in, an inherently flawed thing, but I think if I were to see a monument out in the world, that I want it to be someone common, someone who even though even if they went on to do extraordinary things was of their community and who put beauty into the world that served their community. I would want to see what everyday sacrifice looks
3: like memorialized. No, I love that. And I think, you know, for me, the issue is really that we're evolving. And I think that statues and monuments need to reflect what America and the world looks like. And again, that is a melting pot of cultures. And when you see yourself reflected, your very existence is validated and it's celebrated. So it brings you to a place where you can tap into that inner strength. You know, you can tap into what your abuelos were, maybe cooking or the different themes that you would see when you would go visit your tia. I don't necessarily see that in DC. So they don't really resonate with me. Um, and I think that to kind of change this narrative, we need to see statues that are reflective of what the world looks like.
1: I would echo what you guys said, all of the things that you guys said. There's identity, there's history, there's, you know, celebrating the commonplace of it, how things actually happen. So, yeah, I think it's important. That's why I wanted to do this show because we need to have this conversation. Okay, with that in mind, Laura, you have one last pick. Tell us about your pick.
4: My last pick is Victoria Santa Cruz. She's a Afro-Peruvian. She basically is seen as the... Queen, the mother of Afro-Peruvian bands and theater, afro identity, Afro-Peruvian arts. Her role in shaping the Afro-Peruvian identity in the 60s and the 70s was uh, huge. She was you know, first introduced to like arts, theater, music in her like growing up in, in a black Peruvian household of artists and musicians. And that like early exposure to arts and to like Black art definitely like influenced her lifelong goals of like self discovery of so someone from such a small community of Afro Peruvians in Peru, she always dealt with identity issues and through her art she was able to like self-discovery and like refine that sense of culture and that sense of self that was often sort of like stripped away from her by like colorism and racism in Peru. Um, So yeah, through her work, she was always... And I'm looking for this way to awaken this Black consciousness and pride in Afro-Peruvian culture, the way that she dressed, the way that she wrote, the way that she
1: spoke. Laura, we're going to end the show with her reading one of her most famous poems. It's called, Me Gritaron Negra. And it translates to, they shouted at me, negra. And that has a significant meaning, the shouting as opposed to, they called me negra. Talk a little bit about that.
4: This poem, she explains what that did to her. She experienced this when she was like five years old, seven years old. And this poem sort of like explains her pain for obvious reasons. I'll put her in in Peru, I'll put her in Lima, but I'm happy to put her everywhere in Latin America.
1: Okay, before we play the poem, I wanna thank you all for uh, taking time to do the research and to think really hard and, and narrow it down to two. I'm sure we could all do a list of 10 people that we would love to see immortalized in monuments. Again, Stephanie Fernandez, Anais Navarro-Laurent, and Laura Beltran Misar. thank you all so much for being part of this show and doing this for Alt Latino. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Felix, for having us. It's such a pleasure. Always great to join. Gracias again. Thank you again, Felix.
1: Okay. You're listening to Alt Latino from NPR Music. I'm Felix Contreras, and this is the poem Me Gritaron Negra by Victoria Santa Cruz. <laughs>
6: años, apenas, apenas siete años. ¿Qué siete años? No llegaba a cinco siquiera. De pronto unas voces en la calle me gritaron, ¡Negra! 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 ¡Negra!
0: ¡Negra! ¡Negra! ¡Negra!
6: Soy acaso negra, me dije. Sí. ¿Qué cosa es ser negra? ¡Negra! Yo no sabía la triste verdad que aquello escondía. ¡Negra! Y me sentí negra. ¡Negra! Como ellos decían. ¡Negra! Y retrocedí. ¡Negra! Como ellos querían. ¡Negra! Yo di mis cabellos y mis labios gruesos y miré apenada mi carne tostada y retrocedí. ¡Negra! Y retrocedí. Negra, negra, negra,
0: negra, negra,
6: negra, 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 negra. Y pasaba el tiempo y siempre amargada, seguía llevando a mi espalda mi pesada carga y cómo pesaba. Me alacía el cabello. Me volve la cara y entre mis entrañas siempre resonaba la misma palabra.
0: Negra, negra,
6: negra, 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 negra. negra, negra! Hasta que un día que retrocedía, retrocedía y que iba a caer. Negra, 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 negra. ¡Negra soy! ¡Negra! ¡Sí! ¡Negra! ¡Soy! ¡Negra! ¡Negra soy! Yo hoy en adelante no quiero laciar mi cabello. ¡No quiero! Y voy a reírme de aquellos que por evitar, según ellos, que por evitarnos algún sin sabor, llaman a los negros gente de color. ¿Y de qué color? ¡Negro! ¡Y qué lindo suena! ¡Negro! ¡Y qué ritmo tiene! ¡Negro, negro, negro, negro! ¡Negro, negro, negro! ¡Negro, negro, 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 negro! trocedo, al fin, y avanzo segura, al fin, avanzo y espero, al fin, y bendigo al cielo porque quito Dios que negro sabache fuese mi color y ya comprendí, al fin, ya tengo la llave, Negro, 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 negro.